Hey everyone, welcome to the third episode of Off the Track Podcast. In the first two episodes, we talked about Juneteenth and the difference between systemic and systematic racism. On this episode, we're going to be highlighting Black excellence within our community. And today we have former NFL player and one of the current producers of the CW show All American with us, Spencer Paysinger. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. No, definitely. Um, before we dive into the episode, I know there are a lot of new faces for those of you who watched previous episodes. So I just wanted to start it off with introducing ourselves. My name is Sydney. I just finished up my junior year. I'm a psych major and a sports business minor in management. And um, I run distance on the track team. Bree? Hi, um, my name is Bree. I am a sophomore. I'm currently a junior now at USC. I am <laughs> um, a communications major. I am also a hurdler on the track team. And yeah, Bailey? Hi, I'm Bailey. I'm also a junior. I major in communications and minor in entrepreneurship, and I run the 400 and the 4x4. Cam? Uh, hi, I'm Cameron Samuel. Uh, going into my senior year now at SC, uh, I'm a 400 hurdler, and I am a psychology major. Awesome. So yeah, that's, that's all of us. So now you kind of know our names. Um, with you being, you know, a big part in the entertainment industry now with All American, um, we have some different sort of TV shows, movies, type of stuff that we're recommending on our Instagram. I know that when we first had a conversation and you scrolled through, there probably wasn't a lot on our page and we were just getting started. But um, Cam and Bailey have some awesome recommendations for different types of movies that really highlight what's going on in our in the current climate right now. And we just after they're done kind of giving their recommendations, we were wondering if you had a few of your own. So. Oh, absolutely. And, and before we get started, I will say I was a hurdler in high school. That's something <laughs> that, was, that wasn't portrayed in, in All-American. <laughs> and much respect to you guys doing that because that is a beast of a race. And we, I only did 110 highs and, and 300 lows. I didn't touch the 400s, but <laughs> you guys have my respect. Oh man, appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> you should try the mile and up sometime. <laughs> Some cross country, 5Ks. I'm a football player, short distances. <laughs> Thank you very much. Nice. So, but, um, yeah, Cam, you want us to kick us off? Yeah, okay. So, um, my movie I recommended was Rosewood. Um, I actually just watched it for the first time uh, in May. My mom sat me down and we watched it together. And I mean, the overall gist of it, it was about a, the early 1900s. It took place in 1912 in Florida, uh, in a small town in Florida. Um, and their neighboring city was, um, it was an all-white populated city. And after a woman accused a black man of raping her, the town, all the men of the town went and, like, started burning and lynching all the black men um in that town and it was based on a true story so i recommended it just because like it showed like what took place back in the early 1900s and um i mean and what recent cases of lynching is like still going on today so yeah bailey um so for my movie recommendation i chose the color of friendship which came out in the uh in the 2000s it's actually a disney movie so you could probably find it on disney uh plus or one of those uh uh apps or something like that but it's really about uh it was about a girl and it was about two girls and just learning how in one country racism was a really big thing and that they were under this apartheid system and they didn't 
like it was just segregation, which was, uh, it was South Africa. And then in another country in America, racism kind of like died down. There wasn't like segregation, but there was still like racism and they kind of did like a, like a pen pal thing, but like uh, the girl from South Africa came to the girl in America's home and she was just kind of starstruck and just wasn't expecting her to be uh, black because she thought that um, coming to America that the, uh, that the same system in South Africa was happening in America. And they kind of just uh, learn like about the different upbringings and how like really just educating yourself and just you can really see in that movie the hard conversations that people don't want to have but you find it necessary to have so I think it's really something important to watch especially like with the things that are going on now and how important we have to educate ourselves on the uh, on topics so maybe if you have any uh, movie recommendations or book or music albums um those are great i actually wrote those down so i'll be sure to check those out so thank you guys for that um i would i would say one movie that i watched recently that i remember watching when i was a kid and not necessarily understanding the full weight of it um this was probably i started at like 11 30 at night when my family was already sleeping and it just sort of gripped me to the point where like i couldn't sleep afterwards but it was spike lee's film get on the bus um and that's a it's sort of a forgotten spike lee film but to me it shows somewhat of a full spectrum of of being a black man in this country and literally on the premises you know on the anniversary of the million man march you know they're attempting to recreate that idea or or recreate that journey to to washington dc and it's a bus full of black men that are trekking across the country from los angeles to washington dc but it's Hill Harper, it's Wendell Pierce, it's Isaiah Washington, um, Roger Smith. There's just uh, Ozzie Davis. There's so many prominent black men in this film, but they're showcasing, you know, a father-son relationship. They're showcasing, you know, masculine gay black men, uh, their relationship. They're showcasing sort of an Uncle Tom. Uh, there's just so many different uh, portrayals of what it looks like to be a black man in this country that I always, I just thought, we'll probably never see something like that again unless somebody like us creates it. So if that would be my recommendation is, is definitely Get on the Bus by Spike Lee, which is available on Netflix. Cool. Thank you. Thank you. Keep that one added to the list on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, so, I mean, leading, thank you so much for your recommendation. Leading into um, just a little bit about yourself. I know for people who watch the show, they know you grew up in, in South Central, went to high school at Beverly. Um, can you kind of lead us into the next steps within your journey? I know college at Oregon, we won't hold that against you being all <laughs> USC athletes over here. But yeah, can you tell us about kind of the next step you've taken to get to where you are? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I will say I was a, a big fan of USC growing up. I, hey. I was a, probably a year or two underneath like the Reggie Bush era. So USC football games were the hot ticket in Los Angeles during that like 04 to 06 period. I was at every home game. I wanted to be a Trojan. I did not want to be a Bruin at all. Uh, and that's something they messed up in the, they messed up in all Americans. I fought hard not to show UCLA. I much rather would have been, would have been portrayed at USC. But um, yeah, you know, 
where we see Spencer right now, Spencer James, is he's sort of understanding like where he wants to be. And, and that's how I was growing up, and especially in high school. It's like my mom always told me, you either need to take a, f- a two-hour flight or a four-hour drive outside of LA. Like she did not want me to go to school in Los Angeles. So it was, it was just under the idea that the world is bigger than just Los Angeles and or just playing sports. She wanted me to experience other things. So playing at University of Oregon and then uh, go, signing a draft to New York Giants, that was my essentially like the first time I felt like I had to not necessarily grow as a person, but like get really uncomfortable because for me going to, going to Oregon was just like going to Beverly on steroids. It was, I'm a, I'm a black man in this country. I'm, I'm going to a predominantly white school, but now I'm going to a predominantly white school in a predominantly white state that has like rich KKK ties, like the oldest building at university of Oregon called, uh, D.D. Hall, they used to hold KKK rallies there. Um, it's, it's crazy. But moving to New York um, in 2011 was the first time I said, okay, I'm going to attempt to do something I've never done before, which is see if I can succeed in an environment that I knew nothing of, which is New York, the Big Apple, whatnot. Um, but I always knew outside of sport, I always had something to fall back on, which was just understanding that playing football, playing sports or whatever was just a job. Like I never saw it as a career because I can't tackle people for 40 years and they retire and live off of my pension. Like you just can't do that. So I always knew that there was sort of this like finite window that I had that, you know, being an undrafted 21, 22 year old kid, it was kind of crazy looking back on it now thinking like, man, you really told yourself like you're going to play until you're 30 and then you're going to retire to get into business. And I made that decision for myself, no matter if I was like the the Odell Beckham of the league or just like a guy just trying to get on the team every single year. Once I turned 30, I was going to be done with playing the sport. Um, And I was able to essentially achieve that. But in those last two years of playing, that's when I started kind of writing my own stuff. Or I would say I I was starting to write my own stuff in my fourth year, but it wasn't until my last two years playing that the idea of All-Americans started to take form. Really awesome. Um, Bailey, actually, we were talking about it beforehand before you joined, and she was talking about All-American, and she had an awesome question relating to, like, that and your actual experiences. Yeah. Um, so we were just talking about the uh, kind of, like, the basis. I think pretty much all of us are All-American fans, and, like, we we follow it, and we, we're actually waiting for the next season to come out. We're very excited, but um, – <laughs> I guess like the um, the some of the clips in the in the show like regarding like social justice and like uh, maybe you can like talk a little bit about that like how going on like that stuff going on during that time was and how yeah. you kind of like got through it. Yeah, and and that's something that um, just the identity of the show is a. a pretty much a black kid going into a very white space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even the, even the idea of, of this sort of outside of world, whenever you, get, whenever you depict this type of story, it's always shown as black is bad, white is good. You know, it's, you know, this kid got saved from the black community and is now sort of being shepherded through this white community and it's just better over there. So from the start, we didn't want to do that 
you know, trope. We didn't want to say black, bad, white, good. We want to show that both of them are the same place, no matter like social economic stance or whatever, like these people strip away the cars, the money, everything, everybody goes through these same emotions. Like it's just, that's what makes us all human. Mm-hmm. So when it, when it comes to telling those stories, you know, you know, there were times growing up, especially in high school when, you know, getting pulled over by police, like their episode, episode three, season oh. one, getting pulled over by the police was an actual thing that happened to me. Like the, how it happened was a little bit different, but one of my closest friends from high school that lives down the street from me, we were still, you know, really tight today. Like we were the ones that got pulled over. So we, we definitely wanted to bring that idea of, of being a young black kid in Los Angeles in an area that you're not familiar with the show and, and understanding where we can go with that. So I think the fact that it is somewhat of a, of a homely sort of neighborhood show, we wanted to keep it, we wanted to keep the community aspect of it alive in season two and beyond. Um, we felt like in season one, we really struck a chord with some of the issues that we were talking about. And although some of the issues that we were presenting didn't directly happen to me, but they happened to some black kids, some black or brown athlete or whatever in this country. So the growth from season one to season two was realizing that Spencer, Jordan, these, these, these characters, even Crenshaw High School at that, uh, South Crenshaw, I should say, um, can sort of be a conduit for all the stories across the country that are happening. Um, you know, our, our writers are in the writer's room right now, um, writing out season three, and we're talking about how can we organically talk about some of these issues that we're, we currently find ourselves in and bring it in, a, in, a, in an authentic community way. So we definitely try to, we don't, we don't try to sort of outkick our coverage in terms of telling this story or making this story seems like Spencer James is changing the entire world. We want to show Spencer James can just be a person in his community exacting change. Right. Um, I have a question. Oh, sorry. Um, I have a question. But when I, I had seen season one, maybe I think a year or two ago. So I watched season two like later. But I remember watching season one that he seemed, the character Spencer, obviously you, had seemed to get along with the football team pretty well but dealt with a little bit of backlash by being black because of being black and just being different at first. So I wanted to know if it was the transition between going to an all kind of an all black school or all colored school to a predominantly white school. Was it as easy as it perceived on the show or what did you feel more backlash and they just didn't show it all? Um, There's definitely things like we kept out um, for one reason or another. At the end of the day, we have to tell a compelling series uh, to get, you know, you guys interested in it, but also the 60-year-old white man that just hit me up yesterday saying how much he loves the show. So we definitely have to, to play with that. But, you know, being 13, 14 years old, going to Beverly, especially in that summertime before, before school actually started and, and coming around my new teammates for the next four years, realizing that I remember walking through the door and only seeing like two other black kids, but naturally feeling safer with them than the other 50 kids in there because those other kids have grown up together. Like Beverly Hills has a, a four, it's a four elementary slash middle school system. And all those kids, unless they go private or whatnot, they get piped into Beverly Hills. So as soon as I'm walking in, I'm seeing relationships that have already been forged for, you know, 10, 12 years before I get to meet them. So outside of the racial aspect of it, these kids have just known each other for 10 12 13 years so me coming in as sort of an unknown there was definitely like i was absolutely asked that question do i know how to crip walk 
or like what game do I belong to? But it wasn't, it wasn't a sense of, and, and this is why I, I don't, I'm not quick having that experience being so young, having that experience, I'm not so quick to paint somebody a racist as opposed to understanding like, well, are you just ignorant right now? And even ignorance gets a bad rap calling somebody ignorant right now. You know, they would take that as a, as an insult, but like, people can literally be ignorant to information. And if you're a predominantly white, you know, or Asian or Jewish kid growing up in Beverly Hills High School, you haven't really been around a lot of black people. The only thing you've been exposed to has been on TV. So when a black kid walks up, like maybe those preconceived notions are, are what driving your question. So I'm not gonna sit here and say, hey, you're racist because you asked me that question. Mm -hmm. am, I, uh, am I a game banger or whatnot? Because that's all you've been exposed to. So I found out like early on was to, just start having those conversations with them and and get them to see me in a different light than what they saw on tv and some were good some were bad some just didn't want to see me beyond you know just the black kid but i have lifelong friends now because both sides took it upon ourselves to have those conversations and become friends thank you mm -hmm. um one thing that i wanted to touch base on you mentioned earlier on in the show about the scene where they got pulled over um, you're a father, am I right? Mm -hmm. You have you have younger kids, so I was wondering. I think it's unfortunate that nowadays that there has to be, you know, like that talk, that conversation about when interactions like that occur. And I was wondering for you, is this like a even this like certain talk or this time? Are you sharing that with your children? Are you kind of explaining in a way that they understand, or are they too young to understand it? How are you yeah. going about it or how will you go about it in the future? Yeah, I, I think um, it, sounds, it sounds weird to say, but I'm sort of happy that I don't need to have that conversation with them yet. Um, they're three years old. My daughter just turned three. My son turns one in, uh, in two weeks. Um, so luckily with the pandemic and obviously everything happening with, uh, with you know, George Floyd and, and just, just everything that's going on, I'm happy that they don't have to experience this right now um, and can sort of live in their sheltered life until they're old enough to want to have that conversation. But it's definitely been weighing on my mind of how I would present this to them. So I actually write in a journal to them. I can actually put them out. Um, I have two journals. One is dedicated to my daughter and the other to my son. And it's something that me and my wife decided to do to where once they're when they're 18 or when they're 21 or whatever we would hope to gift them sort of three or four different volumes of this to show them who we were as people um you know 15 20 years ago but also show them who they were during these like crazy times so i have i have like stories in here of like my daughter literally like shitting her pants everywhere but then also <laughs> Like, but then like also her like playing with her little brother and just being like a great big sister and, and reminding her to always like lean into family. But I'm also talking about like, I've, I've written about George Floyd. I've written about Breonna Taylor in it. Um, and it's, it's me gearing up to have that conversation with them because I know it's going to come. I know I can't avoid it. And even in All American, we talked about that during, in, during the, the scene after when, when Spencer and, uh, and Jordan getting pulled over and Spencer asked uh, uh, Billy, how come you never taught your son how to talk to the police? And essentially Billy says, you know, I thought, I thought I bought us more time. With him succeeding, I thought I bought us more time. And it's, we wanted to have that conversation in the writer's room because 
you know, as, as a as a black man or a woman in this world, you can achieve, you can succeed, you can do, you can be the billionaire, you can be the LeBron James of, of the world, but there's something systematically wrong when the 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 poorest white person in the world would still think they're better than the richest, most accomplished black man in the world. There's something just like wrong systematically with that that I think we need to address. But I'm I'm gearing up to have that conversation with my kids. I don't know exactly how I'm going to have it, um, but I'm just happy I have a, hopefully a few years before I need to to have that conversation with them. Yeah, wow, one in three, they're so young. I was looking, I don't know if you, it was, um, I don't know how long ago, but I definitely in this uh, quarantine time, I think you made like a a little movie or like a show with your daughter or oh, something yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> it was so cute. And I'm like, she's probably going to take after you being in the entertainment world someday. Yeah, so that was something. A camera. That was something that I was working out one morning and in my head, I, I was just like, let's just shoot a movie this was honestly like the second week of quarantine and i thought in two weeks we're going to be out of this so like let's just do something fun to like showcase what we can do in the house not realizing like four months later we're still here um but yeah it, it was just something that just a household activity that took us like two or three days to film i had to bribe my daughter with like fruit snacks to <laughs> say her lines like it just it taught me how to somewhat edit um and just to get creative in my own home with with just two iphones but yeah, it was, just, it was just a fun experience. And hopefully like she's absorbed that and said like, hey, she can be creative and, and can just create things in her home without needing a big production behind it. Exactly. Definitely. Um, one thing that, that I wanted to touch on is, I mean, with you having a big following on social media and being who you are, um, producer, I wanted to know if you thought that when people reach a certain level of success, if it's part of their duty to like use their platform as a way to fight against different causes, reach out to the community, fundraise, whatever, just kind of spread awareness to different issues. Cause I think one of the big things we're seeing on um, social media is like cancel culture with people like not speaking out or like now it's like the whole thing, if, if you're silent, you're, you're part of the problem because you can't just be passive, you need to be active in this. Yeah. And so I was wondering if, if you thought that, yeah, once, I mean, I'm not saying that once you've reached like 50,000 followers on Instagram, <laughs> you're at that level where you need to speak out, you need to have post something on your story. But like, do you think it's, it's kind of people's job to use their platform for, to have a voice? Um, I, I would say it's just because they have a bigger platform than some people, it would benefit the cause in general, if these people were able to talk up and, and be genuine about it. Um, but I, I don't hold that against anybody. Uh, I myself, I go back and forth with, you know, wanting to post 50 things a day about certain issues or causes. And then the next minute I'm like, nobody wants to hear from me on this. You know, it's, it's that, it's sort of like that delicate balance because at the end of the day, I still see myself as just like a normal guy and, you know, me championing a cause or whatnot, it can somewhat seem like, oh, does he have a dog in this race when it comes to whatever change or has he invested in this company if he's talking about something. So I think sometimes there could be, sometimes there could be a, a, a slight veil of, of illegitimacy when you have these celebrities or influencers or whatever you want to call them speaking about the cause, because a lot of it is very timely. Like I would like to see some of these people that are talking about these causes when it's not 
in our face, like make this part of your mission beyond sort of, you know, where we're in right now, especially you see with these companies that are sort of trying to backtrack and say, hey, you know, we're allies right now. It's like, well, it's easy to be an ally right now. Like it's, it actually helps you and your bottom line to be an ally right now. I want to see what happens six months from now or two years from now or whatnot. But when it, when it comes to just individual platforms, I don't, I don't do that when it comes to like, hey, you suck because you haven't posted anything today. Um, I do call out people or have those conversations with people when I see them championing, uh, for lack of a better word, a bullshit cause. But then when some shit is really pertinent and they're silent, you know, I have friends and I've had friends in, in college that were mad about wearing masks and mad about the quarantine a month ago and, you know, in the streets chanting and whatnot. But then when all this stuff happens, especially with Black Lives Matter, there's nothing to be said. I haven't seen anything. So I do take offense to that because I'm like, you want to wear, you're mad because you want to wear a face mask, but we are dying in the streets. Like which one is more important to you at the end of the day? Um, but in general, I, I, I tend not to, to judge anybody on how they use their platform. Um, because I, and then I, I wouldn't want them to judge me how I use mine. Um, so I had a question, like going based off of that, like, I know like a lot of, um, people are mad at celebrities for like not speaking up. Um, and like, like they're really like what I've been saying on my timeline is like a lot of like rappers and artists being bashed for not like donating money or like signing, like, like doing what they can do, like. How do you, my question really is like, how, like, what can, like, what do you think that it's going to do for like a, like a big artist or celebrity, like if they donate money, like how much change do you really think that's going to bring in like the short matter of time? Well, it, it's, it's funny because we've been sort of duped in this country to believe that if you have X amount of followers or, or some type of entertainment stature, then you can just change laws. Like it just, it's that simple that if you just talk about it, laws are gonna change like that's, unfortunately all you can do is just help spotlight some of the issues that are happening. But you, I, I'd be hard pressed to understand if like Kim Kardashian can actually go into the Senate and get a law changed. Like, I mean, she's it's, a lawyer now, so who knows? Who knows her power, right? Or she's I mean, role. she low key can do anything, which is which is <laughs> hilarious, but like also dope because that's like that's one positive about America is that you can you can have her past and then you know have the president's ear and get people out and get people out of jail. So that is a positive of America. But again, it's this whole love of of entertainment that has us in this position to where a president is essentially an entertainer. And we've, we've, we put him in office. I'm not gonna say we put him in office, but people put him in office because he was just the most vocal and the most out there and the most visual person. So when it, when it comes to the entertainment side of America, like we, we have to let you know, politicians do the job, but hold them to the fire if they don't. And mm -hmm. when, it, when, it, when it comes to investing in, in these initiatives and, and doing that, like it's, it's great to do that, but for myself, like I like to invest locally. I like to, you know, dine out at, at black restaurants and and you know give resources to schools and have that impact locally. And would hope that other people do it because at the end of the day, if we're all yelling at, if we're all yelling at a politician to do his job and it takes him 
five or six weeks to do his job, that's great, but we can do things in our community right now, especially with local elections, to get the people in that we want. So we don't have to do the, it's been a hundred days since, you know, Brianna Taylor's murder and there still hasn't been any convictions. Well, maybe it's because the people that we've elected aren't the right people to be in those positions and now it's time to get them out the box. Mm-hmm. So I, it's, I'm sorry if that was a roundabout way of, ans- of answering your question, but I just think I just think we put too much emphasis on like celebritum instead of putting that same emphasis on understanding politicians. Like, like is there a TMZ for politics? Like, somebody needs to create that. Like, we need to put these politicians in the spotlight so they can't hide from us. Like, we know everything Kim Kardashian is doing. We know everything that her whole family is doing. Like. Let's put that same energy in understanding every single aspect of these politicians' life and see how that exact change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that something like that would be so important with our generation because, like you said, yeah, we're we're on social media constantly. We see what these different celebrities are doing twenty four seven, following that all the time. Um, but then, when it comes to politics, I think there's so many of us who maybe just aren't as informed as we, as we should be. Like we don't have the resources. We don't know where to go, different news outlets, whatever. Um, but something like that would be really cool to just kind of have us be more informed on the different issues. Mm-hmm. Um, on the same lines though, with this podcast and different other initiatives, like Bailey is head of creating face masks and with a bunch of other people on our team um, for this upcoming semester, drawing awareness to different social issues. We also have one group who's, um, helping people register to vote, which I think is such a positive step because it's like we're trying to do all these things to have other people feel comfortable, like going to the polls, knowing the issues, um, voting, having their voice be heard through politicians. So I think, I mean, yeah, there's only so much that we can all do as like a track team with our little initiatives. But I think, hey, if we can spread the word, talking to you is really awesome to do that. But yeah, I think that's that's a really important step. Yeah, a, a friend of mine, a, a good friend of mine, actually, is building out a platform to sort of like social mediaize like voting, the voting aspect of our country, to where you know you can be up to date on all the certain on all the issues affecting your your city, your neighborhood, your government, your state, whatever. Um, and then afterwards, like you literally get sort of a sheet that you can actually post and say, hey, these are my views, these are how I voted, these are why I voted, because the age-old tale of like, we should not talk about politics is dead. Because, you know, the guy in the office right now has sort of rewrote the book on, on what is legitimized in this country. And we actually need to talk about politics more than anything. Like, I, I don't understand, that even growing up, I never understood why people didn't want to talk about politics. Because we know so much of like, say the Kim Kardashians of the world, politicians part of the reason why politicians do the politics is because they know they can they can change laws they can cut corners they can do these things and be completely anonymous in doing it and i think that's what this app can potentially do and i I can't really talk too much about it because we're still in development with it or he's still in development with it but it's sort of shedding light on like we need to talk about politics we need to have those conversations at, at dinner and at lunch and and with friends and out like we need to understand these people's views I know that you are currently the owner of Hilltop Coffee, right? Yes, and Coffee and Kitchen. Know, yeah, Coffee and Kitchen. I wanted to know what other projects you have done for your community and what you plan on doing maybe in the future and what that also is and what it does for the community as well. Yeah, so I, I mean, I'll start off with, with Hilltop. That's something that um, 
again, the, the same guy that's building out the app is co-founder of Hilltop. Um, but I think it had to have been about three years ago now that once I moved back to this, once I moved back to Los Angeles for good and we were sort of understanding like what we want to put in our neighborhood. Um, and for anybody that's watching or, or if you guys are familiar with the area, uh, Windsor Hills, View Park, Ladera Heights, and Baldwin Hills are essentially like deemed the Black Beverly Hills. And that's because yeah. every year, every year, you know, per capita, those are the four, four of the 10 richest Black neighborhoods in the country. Uh, you know, this is where, you know, the Jacksons lived for a short period of time. This is where Ray Charles lived. This is where prominent doctors live. Like, this is where a lot of, a lot of Black Hollywood is essentially moving back to. Um, and, you know, before we kind of, before I even really knew the history of the neighborhood, I, I grew up just right down the street from here, but I always thought like, why doesn't this area have, you know, comfortable resources as like a, a Brentwood or a Cobra City where you don't have to leave your neighborhood to get anything you want. Grocery stores, gas stations, uh, just post office, like all their own things. So we started asking the community and said, hey, like, what would you guys like to, you know, hear? What would you guys like? And a lot of people talked about a coffee shop um the black owned coffee shop that sort of represented us so that's where the idea of hilltop coffee and kitchen came from uh, and it's been great for the neighborhood you know they they this is a, a sort of an older black neighborhood but it is changing but they're they're very protective of new ideas that come in because they know they know what they have here and they're trying to protect as much as they can because they know like it's literally hidden in plain sight i growing up with people 10, 15 minutes from here, I'm like, hey, have you, have you guys ever been to Windsor Hills? They're like, where the hell is that? I'm like, good. <laughs> don't come here. Like, don't know where it is. Uh, but yeah, we've, we've opened up two locations so far. We have another location opening up in Eagle Rock. Uh, hopefully, I think within the next month, um, we're doing something with Randy's Donuts soon. Uh, and then obviously having Issa Rae as a partner um, has, you know, exponentially grown it. Um, so if you guys have watched Insecure, uh, this past season is a few episodes of her featuring Hilltop, um, whether she's drinking it or walking or, or yeah. So that's our, that's actually a lot of the locations are, a lot of the shots on that are second location, which is in Inglewood. But it's, it's been great for the community. Um, some other stuff that I do is I, I work closely with Kip Public Schools, which is sort of a, a charter school located in South Central that has, I don't, I don't know how many locations, but essentially like when you get accepted to the school, they're with you all the way throughout college. So you have mentors, you have programs, like they, their days are from like eight to 5 p.m. in terms of curriculum, because like they're literally trying to change the minds of South Central, of, of the youth of South Central. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm part of the Black and Brown Initiative there, or uh, board members there in terms of just building out programs for Black and Brown kids. Um, I do career days there, uh, just trying to just pour any resources that I have if I can pour it into that school or just, or any um, organization in South Central, I'm all for it. And I'm trying to do more things. Uh, so I welcome any, any ideas, but I've likened myself to just being a connector uh, of resources. A, lo a lot of people come to me because of all Americans say, hey, we wanna help out in this, in the neighborhood, how can we do it? And even if I don't have the direct contact to it, I'll hit my contacts in South Central up and say, hey, I have somebody that wants to do Recently, I got connected with a company that wants to provide coding classes uh, and mentorship programs. So I hit up my people in education, like, hey, is this something of interest to you guys and, and connected them together. So, um, yeah, just just trying to play connector to, to South Central and bring resources from 
you know, the Hollywoods and the Burbanks and whatnot into South Central. I think that is really cool. And I have seen Hilltop on Instagram. I just did not know that was connected to you. That's, uh, I think you. it's really cool how on her show, she also, she likes to uh, promote black businesses. I see mm -hmm. her very much so show a full shot of the whole like business, the street, everything. So I think yeah. that's really cool that she was able to feature yours. So. Yeah, she, uh, she, Issa's great. She, she paints South Central and Inglewood specifically in such a unique light that is, it's comparable those images are comparable to any other place in Los Angeles. And I think that's the beauty of the show It's it's the shot. It's just shot beautifully. And I'm, I'm just happy she was able to, to include a uh, hilltop in that. Yeah. Question about your opinion on the show. Are you team Lawrence or team Nathan? I, do y'all got a second? <laughs> Cause listen, Nathan is a non-factor to me. I don't understand. Thank you. I don't. Thank you. I, I don't understand the allure. I think it's because he's light skinned and he talks slow. I think like Same. I think that's his appeal. But my dog provides nothing. Lawrence has done everything right, especially this season. He has done everything right. You can't. To me, you can't. Maybe I do have like Lawrence in me, but I'm definitely a car carrying member of the Lawrence Hive. But. He did everything right this season. I don't understand why people are giving him slack or, or you would want to choose Nathan over Lawrence. Exactly. To the very end, even with the baby scandal, we're still Team Lawrence. Like, hey, okay. he, came to, he didn't try to hide it. He didn't try to hide exactly. it. He came to her as a man and said, listen, this is what happened. What are we going to do? I, I, I got, I'm Team Lawrence. I'm Team Lawrence Same. all the way. It's funny. After that episode, I saw so many memes of like, Lawrence on the Usher album of Confessions. It was just, it was so funny. But yeah, I don't. Again, I'm, I'm with you on that. I don't see how anyone would be Team Nathan. I've, I've been Lawrence all the way. What was messed up too is uh, uh, the woman that plays Condola. I think her name is Christine or Kristen. Like she oh. recently had a baby. I think like one or two years ago. So they were using her actual pregnancy photos as like, like memes and gifs about her being pregnant and insecure. I'm like that's. Y'all can't do this. That's just funny. That is such a mess. <laughs> Calling her like condola virus and everything. I was like, y'all, you guys are messed up for this. <laughs> wow. Social media is ruthless. Man. They definitely doing everybody. I like to. I want to ask you guys. What are you guys doing outside of the podcast? Um, obviously, with your with your season somewhat, you know, being postponed and or, or canceled, I should say. Like, what have you guys been doing to sort of keep your sanity in this, in this quarantine? I can talk about that a little bit. Um, so with a couple people on the track team and also with uh, some other student athletes, we created this organization called United Black Student Athletes Association. And it's kind of just like a space to like talk about what's going on because especially like with uh, the coronavirus and COVID going on, a lot of people don't know that it's affecting Black people more. Mm -hmm. So just to be able to bring awareness to that and like to that and just have a safe space to talk about topics that we don't feel comfortable talking about with people of non-color and just um, especially like right now we were, uh, we had a meeting on Sunday and we were talking about emotional labor because it's so hard sometimes for people to just sometimes our our allies or people of non-color come to us and like they're like what do we do when like how how can i when it's hard to say like there's google you can look it up yeah. but like that that just that labor of having that stuff come on you and just it's just a space to like talk about that 
And then I think as a, a track team, we kind of came up with some ideas. We came up with uh, the face masks, with uh, promoting that. We're actually going to uh, start. We, uh, we created like a fundraiser to connect it to the Los Angeles uh, bail fund. So all the money with the face masks will go to that. But also it'll help bring awareness to how it's affecting the black community more. That's and great. like the uh, systemic racism with that. And we had some other projects along with the podcast. I'll let Cam and Bree talk on those as well. <laughs> um, some other projects we had were the, um, the po we had posts each, not every athlete on our team, but uh, about 20 athletes. They did a book recommendation series or movie. Obviously they talked about their recommendations, but we made, Bailey made graphics for everybody. And she basically, we are posting, I believe every day, a different athlete and what they recommend and how it has affected them and why they recommend it to people. and. Yeah, other than that, I believe we did one more thing other than the podcast. Kind yeah, we also, the face mask, um, we did that. And we did a video on Juneteenth um, and what it is. Um, so me and a couple other athletes, um, male and female, we just answered some questions based on like what Juneteenth is, how do we learn about it, um, what it means to us, and like just giving a little extra background on it and what it is and how it's like, and why I celebrate it essentially. So that was another thing we did. And then as far as the face mask, um, I believe Bailey was in charge of that as well. So they came up with design. Um, and then as a team, we, col uh, we collectively agreed on like which one we wanted to go with. And then they're choosing like which, um, it, wh where the funds go, like based off of like wh when we, when they make the money off the face mask, where the funds will be donated to. That's stuff. great. That's great. I, uh -huh. I will say, I will say, um, one, the white friends hitting us up about like what they can do. I'm like, Amanda still said it best. She goes, do you know how much shit I know about the Holocaust? <laughs> and it's not a slight to the Holocaust, obviously, but it's like, we have, we had to learn it. We had to, it was, it was required reading and studying in school put yourself back in school like don't come to us and tell us how how can you be an ally some of you guys already are allies like i don't i've had friends that i've known for 20 years hit me up saying they're thinking about me and everything and i'm like motherfucker like i know you're sh like you good like <laughs> like 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 to my wife friend, like you're not white people when i say white people you aren't white people like yeah. you're to me i feel like when black people say white people in that like generic term it's like I, it's like the Chris Rock joke. He's like, I love, I love my black people, but I hate niggas, essentially. Like that is, it's a, it's a stereotype. White people sometimes can just be a generalized stereotype. And some of my white friends, I'm like, you, you aren't who I'm talking about. Y'all are good. But I, I, it's, I had a, I've had headaches about that. Just like telling my white friends, like, I can't do this with you right now. I yeah. absolutely can't. And even with, even with Juneteenth, it's been so great. You know, I, I understood it. Um, you know, I kind of, I, I knew what it was years ago, but it's been, it's been great to see somewhat the, the nation bring this like iconic moment in our history from like the grips of history into the idea of being a national holiday. Like, I don't think we've really seen that before. Like even maybe Martin Luther King, uh, Martin Luther King's birthday, it's still not recognized in some states as like a national holiday, I believe, or, or, or I think in Arizona it might not be. But 
the idea of taking something that was ours and like shoving it down the country's throat as like, you guys aren't going to let us, for, like we're not gonna let you guys forget that this happened. And now it's being considered potentially as a national holiday. It's like a great, if, if anything is accomplished in 2020, outside of obviously the arrest of like Breonna Taylor and, and just justice overall, like I would consider 2020 a win if we got June, uh, Juneteenth a national holiday, like Martin mm -hmm. a national holiday. So I just had to say that. <laughs> I have a question. I wanted to know what advice you could probably, you could give us as student athletes. When we deal with, when you said like our white friends, sometimes we hear them say things that are either racist, like borderline racist or about to be racist. But since we're athletes, I feel like sometimes you don't feel like you can go off on them like that or combat the Karens with fighting and stuff because we can't put ourselves out there like that. So what would you say the best route would, would be for us to stand up for ourselves but also keep it more like professional, but also let them know like, mm -mm, like that's not. No, I think now's the time for us not to be gracious. Now's the time not for us not to hold our tongue. We've been conditioned to hold our tongue in these, in these cases. And it comes from the idea that, again, white people think everything is entitled to them. And that's, that even stems to the conversation of them not being able to say nigga in, in rap lyrics is because they have been taught that everything belongs to them. That, and if you take something away, then that's something against their rights. So now's the time more than ever, especially with the, with the climate that we're in, if somebody's talking foul like that, they're making a conscious decision to talk foul like that. It's not just, it's not just for jokes and it's not just, I didn't mean it. It's like, if you respect me enough as, as your friend and your teammate, based off of what we just came out of when you guys all get back together, you should know this isn't the shit to joke about. You should know how we feel. Like you should know. And one thing I will say too, to those, to those white friends that you know, claim to be allies, and again, some of them are, is don't have these conversations with your black friend. Have these conversations with your white family, with your white friends. Like I've, I've had friends do that whole, I'm thinking about you and this is so crazy. And you know, I've, I've had friends that voted for Trump and I told them four years ago, I said, watch where this country is going to be in three or four years. And now fast forward to where we are now. And like, you know what? I'm not even gonna vote this year because of X, Y, Z. And I tell them straight up, I'm like, listen, I don't want you not to vote. You have every right to vote. You can vote for Trump, you can vote for whoever. I'm not telling you who to vote for, but just know if you are voting for him a second time, you are complicit with where we are in the country and you don't see me as an equal to you because you can literally see what is happening to our country in the four years that he's been in office, how it's deteriorated. So don't have these conversations with your black friends, have these conversations with your white family and your white friends because that's where the change is gonna happen. Like I don't need, I don't need to know that me and you are cool because I already know that. I need to know that you've talked to your brother that maybe shares different views than you, that you've talked to your family, that you've talked to your friends in your rural neighborhoods, and maybe you're attempting to exact change where you come from. Because where I'm from, I'm good. I see where we can take this, but we need you guys to help us take it there. Yeah, I very much so agree with that. Because I know it takes a lot of courage to stand up to your family, especially if they have grown up with that belief of yeah. like the whole racist belief and everything. And I've seen kids on like popular at TikTok literally get kicked out of their house because they believe Black Lives Matter. Like just yeah. kicked out. Like that's a strong step you have to take, but if you truly believe that, then yeah, it's more than just being silent or not voting. 
Yeah, I, it's it's my firm belief that the, even the reason why Trump was elected is because this is that establishment's somewhat last attempt at the power grab before they realize that the generations beneath them are, you know, woke enough to understand that black and white people, Mexican, Asian, whatever, like we're done with this whole race shit. So I think even like Trump being elected was like, this is our last like Hail Mary shot, like buzzer beater and we're not going down without a fight. So you've seen it. Like I've seen some of those same videos of, of teenage girls going at their parents, like black lives do matter. And they're like, Oh, all they want to do is just smoke and drink and fight and everything. And she's like, that's not true. Like, what are you talking about? So it, I, I definitely see the change in our, in our country happening. Um, we just have to get there. Like a lot of people don't realize that like empires and, and, and I'm talking past empires and, and all like these people stood for, I mean, these, these ideas stood for hundreds of years. Like we're like 50 years removed from the civil rights, uh, the civil rights movement. Like we're still very young and all this stuff. So to see the progress that in 50 years that specifically black people have had, we're actually kind of killing it. In, in just 50 short years, like even, and even beyond that, but I'm just saying specifically from civil rights to now, like we're actually outpacing white people when it comes to progress. <laughs> but I'm just excited to see where the next 50, 100 years go when we have these younger generations, like, you know, waking up earlier than maybe we had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Um, I really love that we've had this conversation. I think it's really important, super awesome to just have an open dialogue. And for us, like the five of us here and also anyone who's listening, um, one thing we wanted to wrap it up with is I know we've been talking about a lot of heavier topics is just to do like almost some rapid fire, this or that more fun questions. So I'll have Bailey kick it off with some of the ones that we have for you. So we, we were trying to think of some fun ones. So the biggest one that we came up with was French fries or tater tots? Ah, uh, French fries. Why French, French fries? fries? <laughs> it's just consistent. They're just consistent. Like, tater, tater tots are good in the moment. And, like, because you could dip them, but then, like, a French yeah, like, like fries. You can have French fries. Like, you can always just have French fries on deck, but, like, you're not really going to the grocery store and getting tater tots, like, every mm-hmm. week. Right, right. Okay. okay, vanilla or chocolate? <laughs> what? Vanilla or chocolate, basically um, ice cream or in general. Okay, only ice cream. Ice cream. Okay. Vanilla. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a chocolate guy. I'm not, I'm not a chocolate guy. I never, never been in terms of. In t- again, only ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I know you grew up in in LA, Southern California, but In and Out or Whataburger. In and out, there's cut stop. Obviously, <laughs> like there's no competition. The fact that there has to be a debate about this, it's always like In and Out is up here, and the other company is trying to like knock it off. I'm like, just get away. and they try to like they be trying to get us off the fries, like because they're not yeah. salty enough. Like you can put the salt on there. But also, I'm like, yeah, because they're all natural. Like they're yeah. all the the one thing I hate about like these whole fast food debates is people are like. Even you go down to like McDonald's, Burger King, it's like the food is genetically modified to taste good. It's, mm-hmm. not, a, it's not a matter of is it good or not. It's like, do you want it? Do you actually want it? Like <laughs> In-N-Out is just, is just fucking good. Like I, I'm actually, 
I'm actually a a big supporter of the fries. Like I fuck with yep. the fries, but you have to eat them a certain way. Mm-hmm. As soon as yep. they get to the bag, you have to close the fucking bag. <laughs> that is the mistake. People leave the bag open, and that's when all that heat gets out. Close exactly. that bag and close let them shits cook. Even yeah. Chick-fil-A, Chick-fil-A yeah. too. They're not Chick-fil-A super too. But if you close Chick-fil-A it, too. But here, okay, let's get into this. Chick-fil-A's fries are fucking garbage unless you get them extra crispy. Yes. And the reason why they're garbage is because they're crisp cut, you can, you can legit, I think they scientifically like made the fry box to where fries will never fall out the side. Like you never get the loose fry at the bottom of the bag. I fucking hate that. I fucking hate that. You're so right. Like I hate knowing that like that last fry, I'm not going to be surprised in the bottom of the bag. You're right. And you have the potato skin ones. Those are nasty. Exactly. You can tell, like, I've, I've thought about this before. In the morning, we have the little tater tots. Those are pretty good. Those are good. Morning, yeah. Listen, morning tater tots and hash browns from, like, any fast food spot, that's, those always hit. Like, I don't eat <laughs> McDonald's, but I will have McDonald's breakfast, like, three times a year. And yeah. Here we are. Their hash browns are good. And, like, not tell my wife about it. Like, <laughs> like, I'll go and get it and then, like, throw the bag away somewhere not my home. So, like, Same if she's thing. somewhere by the trash, she's like, what the, like, I feel like I'm cheating on my wife when I do that. Like, That's I real sneaky. <laughs> I do that, too, though. I don't have no shame in my game. I be throwing the bag, away the bag before I get in the house. Yeah, it's like, once you, once you bring it into the house, it becomes mm-hmm. real. Yep. Mm-hmm. So it's like, no, nah, we just, I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat two breakfast sandwiches and two hash browns <laughs> and a big orange juice and throw it outside because outside. once I bring it in, that means it's like all the calories actually take into effect once it walks into exactly. my house. <laughs> well, then you also get the questions. It's like, wait, where's my where's my meal? It's like, I didn't go for you. I went for me. <laughs> or then be like, but you don't like, you don't like fast food. Like whenever you turn it on them, it's like, no, nah, don't do that. Don't do that. Exactly. They're like, last week you told me you didn't like McDonald's. Well, this week I do. So... <laughs> So, it's funny. All right. Well, uh, um, a dog or a cat? I grew up with dogs. I'm a I'm a I'm a dog person. I had the same dog, rest in peace, Rocky, from first grade to senior year of high school. Uh, and I haven't had a dog since. My wife actually was attacked by a dog when she was a kid. Uh, mm-hmm. So I don't think we're going to be getting a dog. But I'm absolutely absolutely a dog person. Okay. I am the new turtle owner. Turtle, what? Like yeah. what? Why? What? What's that? What's the <laughs> low maintenance or? Okay, so my mom keeps saying because we had a dog back in the day, but it used to chew up my my sister's like diapers and stuff, so she got rid of it. <laughs> so now she won't let us get a dog, and I was like, if I can't have have a dog, but I don't want to fish, I just get a turtle. Yeah, so I don't just... know. <laughs> I don't, it, it, it made sense in my head, so what's, I, I went bought one. What's the, what's its name? You know, I still ain't figured, I bought it like two <laughs> hours ago, so I, I haven't figured that out yet. I'm, I'm going to name in like 10 minutes when I think right. about it. Sydney, you gotta you gotta keep me up to date. I want to know this turtle's name. Your sister said his I'll, name is Whippy. I'll let you know. Yeah, your sister <laughs> put out a name for us. Your sister <laughs> named him when he was gone. <laughs> of course she did. All right, anyway. But um, I had a question. Um, so you played in the East Coast. So which coast is the best, East or West? Ah oh, man, it's 
I would say the East Coast is best, but because I, I like, let's be real. When you say the West Coast, you just mean Los Angeles. That's true. Like oh. that's just it. We're like East Coast. You have so many cities. Like I've had the luxury of playing in North Carolina, playing in Miami, playing in New York, like Philadelphia. Okay. Like there are so many dope cities. Okay. But yeah. if I again, if I have to pick somewhere to live, I'm absolutely obviously I'm picking Los Angeles. Like who wouldn't want to live in Los Angeles? But yeah, that whole like East versus West, it's like it's literally East versus Los Angeles and that's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Got a point there. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Southern California native, I can't I can't give it East Coast, but I, I see your point. Well, I will say, and I used to tell this to my friends all the time, is like if if you're a young if you're like early twenties and you're trying to figure out what to do or you have some time to sort of explore. I tell everybody live in New York for six months to a year. Like, I feel like every young adult should experience New York um, in that time of their life. It was absolutely like transformative for me, just seeing, just seeing so many different cultures and ethnicities just like mesh together and, and not, and, and not really be at odds with each other. Um, just the, the vibe of New York. I feel like New York is like its own battery. Like when I could be dog tired and step onto the island or step into Manhattan and just be completely energized. And that whole New York minute is absolutely real. Like you can go out for drinks with a friend at 9 p.m. and think like, oh, we're just having one drink and then look at your clock and it's 4 a.m. And it's just, that <laughs> is, it's such a real thing because there's always something to do, something cool to do, something interesting that's insightful that can pour into you like, if you guys ever have an opportunity to live in New York for a short amount of time, like absolutely do it. I think that's one of my goals. I want to, I want to like settle in LA somewhere closer to the beach area, but yeah, living in New York would just be super awesome. I try to go back at least twice a year. I feel like I, I need to have New York in me at least twice a year. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I think we're going to wrap it up. Um, with all of us from the USC track team, we want to send over a big thank you for being on our podcast. Thank you. Thank you. We really appreciate you spending the time to talk with us, having a conversation, um, hitting the heavy topics, as well as, you know, the rapid, rapid fire ones. But, um, <laughs> By all means, thank, uh, just thank you guys for having me. Like I said, uh, when we initially talked, whenever I see athletes, uh, especially college athletes doing something outside of the sport or just like broadening their horizon, I'm always down to help. So, you know, use me as a contact, use me as a resource. I'm down to help you guys in, in whatever I can. Uh, but also, when you guys kick back up your season, like shooting your schedule, I'd love to come to a meet or two. Definitely. We'll send that your way. I can bring, uh, see if I can bring some of the cast, uh, you know, Jordan or Jordan or Spence with me. We're going to hold <laughs> you to that one. <laughs> jo uh, Michael, who plays Jordan, he ran hurdles in high school as well. And I think he got like a track scholarship to like Indiana, Indiana State or Indiana. Mm -hmm. I have to, I have to ask him back. I remember us talking about hurdles and us being both like, oh, I'm glad we're done with those. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, we don't want to hold you up for your, your whole afternoon, your whole day. But again, thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you guys. You. Pleasure talking to you guys. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day. You, you too. too. All right, everyone. Well, that concludes episode three of Off the Track Podcast. Um, episodes are uploaded 1230 
p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Fridays. So catch it on YouTube. Also, we have um, it on, I believe, iTunes, whatever podcast services that way. Um, so yeah, awesome. Bye on everyone. Bye on. Bye on. <laughs>